Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with the Ink Heist Podcast, and tonight I'm joined by my co-host Shane Douglas Keene and Laurel Hightower. And tonight we're going to be speaking with Michael David Wilson, who's the author of The Girl in the Video, which is out now through Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, and also runs This Is Horror, a podcast and horror fiction uh, website, and also uh, a publishing company, too. So how are you doing tonight, Michael? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. This is exciting being here. I've been listening to Ink Heist, I guess, since day one, and it's been great to, you know, watch you evolve into one of the most exciting horror fiction podcasts out there. So I'm delighted to now be a part of it. Um, we're delighted to have you here too, man. That was something I told Rich and Laurel when you told me that you were listening to our podcast it was like yeah. this guy this guy's like the god of horror <laughs> podcasters man you know so i appreciate that uh thank you yeah i've been doing it doing it a while now i guess it's uh over seven years and 350 episodes so oh, wow yeah i i remember at the time when i started this is horror podcast i actually thought oh maybe i'm getting to the podcasting game a little bit late because i know that some people had kind of started in 2009 and 2010 but now with retrospect it's like yeah 2013 was actually pretty early to the podcast game and remarkably i think it's just growing and growing so even for people listening if they're wondering about starting a podcast now it's like yeah definitely do it i mean this is a fast growing industry that there can be money in it i mean joe rogan just got a nearly 200 million dollar deal but you know don't see that and think oh well if if joe rogan gets 200 million maybe i can get one million unfortunately that's (laughs) the outlier Um, yeah (laughs) he's also done over a thousand episodes and sometimes they'll have a week where he'll put out three or four conversations each of them three hours long also he's joe fucking rogan and has a lot of money behind him (laughs) yeah yeah for sure and uh michael i know um a lot of people are familiar kind of with you know the origins of this is hard as far as a website um but i was just curious you know what kind of inspired you to create a podcast and you know i know kind of your background you uh done stuff for scream and terrorizer so you've done interviews but was starting a podcast did you have any kind of you know, nervousness about talking to, you know, some of the authors that you, you know, you might have admired or anything like that. And, you know, how did you kind of cope with that over time? Well, I guess in terms of why I started This Is Horror podcast, there were three reasons. I mean, one was that I was just a huge podcast listener. I was listening to all sorts from smart passive income for kind of the business and entrepreneurial side of things i was listening to the creative pen for writing advice booked podcast for reviews and interviews geeks guide to the galaxy horror etc so as a fan 
of podcasts. It was something that I was quite excited to delve into. Also, it was a kind of fear-setting challenge in that I'd found that I was a little bit nervous in terms of public speaking. And I was like, well, what is a way that I could overcome this? And I thought, well, if I were to host some live horror fiction events, start a podcast and become a teacher, I probably wouldn't be as intimidated (laughs) by public speaking. Now, I'm not recommending this approach. And I mean, I do have some bizarre ways of confronting fears. It's a good job that I wasn't you know, particularly anxious about fighting an alligator. Not that I have, but that wasn't what was in in, in my mind at the time. Because had that been the case, well, I'd probably be dead. Although if you were interviewing right. me and I was dead, that could be yeah. a boon as well. So, well, it could be. Yeah, yeah that, that would definitely increase our ratings, I'm sure, about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do imagine that you would be the first podcast to have spoken to someone who was actually dead, although maybe there have been podcasts that have had guests where people have appeared that they were dead, but that is a different yeah. story altogether. But in, be, in terms of go, go on, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to make a smart ass comment about it. <laughs> It'd be a first well, that, if we were talking to someone killed by an alligator, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'd, I'd imagine that would be more likely if it was an Australian guest, seeing as it seems that everything can fucking kill you in that country. I mean, right. We've spoken with Alan Baxter. I mean, he's so used to that kind of thing. He habitually has fights with kangaroos. He has these massive (laughs) spiders that just hang out in his living room. It's, it's a war zone there, man. (laughs) Uh, I mean, to, to go back to the question and in terms of whether I was apprehensive or nervous about interviewing people. I mean, absolutely. And I think in terms of the craft of the interview and the conversation, that is something that is forever evolving and that I've got significantly better at as the years have progressed. And I mean, that that's something with me generally as well. I will always be trying to to hone and to improve whatever it is that I'm doing. And I think perhaps the best thing I did with this is horror podcast in terms of improving my craft as an interviewer was not being afraid to go to those dark places, because I do think early on, I don't I don't want to to bring something up that is going to be too painful because you you know like I don't want to make uh, my guest cry or make them uncomfortable but I mean if you've listened to the episode we did with Brian Keane obviously making a guest cry is not something that I give a shit about anymore as that <laughs> happened but I I, I do think that if if you go to the pain point that's where you get the most interesting conversations and I think that to to a lot to a high extent applies to writing as well I mean Dallas Mayer Jack Ketchum used to talk about writing from the wound and 
So going to these places that perhaps other interviewers won't go to or will be more cautious about going to can often lead to the best conversations. And I think as well, making sure that I'm following up on those points of interest, trying to anticipate what other things that the listeners would want to know more about. I mean, we had a conversation a few months back with Richard Thomas and apologies because I'm probably going to completely butcher paraphrasing what he said, but he was talking about his college experiences and he was like, oh, you know, it was a pretty normal conversation. There were not, not a normal conversation, a normal experience. There were people who died. I spoke with ghosts. I etc etc i was like hang on a minute richard what what the fuck do you mean it was a normal college experience you spoke with ghosts this is not a normal college experience that is exactly where we're going and the the only time i guess a guest kind of got me in that i couldn't follow up was when we had a conversation with John F.D. Taff and he ended by saying, well, next time I'll have to talk about my haunted house story. And it's like, you absolute bastard. Like, we've been speaking for three hours now and you've ended with this. And this is a guarantee that I have to invite you back. I mean... As you know, John F.D. Taff is a great conversationalist, so inviting him back was always going to happen anyway. But what what a note to end on. Uh, next time I will have to talk <laughs> about my real-life haunted house story. So, dutifully, one year later, that is exactly what I opened with after reprimanding him <laughs> for leaving me on such a... Uh, <laughs> He's a... What, what a Taff is a crafty motherfucker. Yeah. 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 Crafty motherfucker. That that's what that's what we're gonna see above his his name when you have a question. <laughs> Might be the name of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Could be. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny because oh go ahead, Laurel. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say it's kind of funny you say that, Michael, because that's kind of how our show even started in the first place was uh, Taff kind of surprising us with something like that. Uh, he wanted us to help him with the fearing and he wanted to do a series of interviews and just out of nowhere, he was like, oh, can we do audio? And we were like, uh, yeah, sure, I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that because, I mean, it, it seemed like to begin with that perhaps these conversations were going to be more ad hoc on Ink Heist or more um, kind of as and when the, the need arised. But I guess it, it was so enjoyable for you and got such great feedback that you decided actually this is something that we want to pursue on a more regular basis. 
I don't know why I'm now kind of ink-high-splaining your fucking origin story. Take <laughs> 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 the conversation. <laughs> you know. Now, am I answering questions about myself? I'm, I'm somehow <laughs> formulating questions about you and then providing the fucking answer. I don't know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, ask yourself some more questions. <laughs> you, you know, I could. I've got about 20 This Is Horror podcast mainstays. So if if we run out of questions, I'll be happy to ask myself about advice to my 18-year-old self. <laughs> An early life lesson. Well, we're going to be talking about that now for damn sure. But... <laughs> There you go. That's uh, d- doing the old follow-up. So I- I'm glad you're implementing the advice I gave five minutes ago. <laughs> um, you know, the thing is, is that I suck at follow-ups really badly because my memory is so faulty anyway. Like, I'll think, oh, yeah, I'm going to follow up on that and then even make a quick note to myself. And then when I get around to it, it's like, the fuck was I talking about? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, not every has to have follow-ups. I, I kind of see you as the, the good old Bob Pastorella of Ink Heist. I mean, you've got so much knowledge of the genre and you can just regale us with anecdotes and stories. And apparently your brain is an encyclopedia as well. So, I mean, that <laughs> is a useful function, too. Hey, it's kind of funny, too, now that you mentioned that. You started This Is Horror, and I'll shut up in a minute, Laurel. I need know you want to say something. You started This Is Horror in 2013. Um, I started, you were the first venue I ever wrote for outside of Shotgun Logic, and I believe that was 2014. Um, and a lot of the shit that I know I learned because I was writing stuff for you, and I had to go learn it in order to write it. <laughs> So it's not it's not all stored in there. Some of it I have to hunt for. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's interesting how cyclic and how intertwined the horror fiction community is. I mean, one of the big influences on this is horror and what I was trying to do when I formed the podcast was kind of go for an audience that was between booked podcast, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy and the now defunct horror, etc. And then fast forward a few years and we became friends with the guys that booked podcast. And then a few months back, I was being interviewed by books so it it seems that things come full circle and a cyclic which is definitely a better way to brand it than to say oh it's a little bit incestuous which is not the vibe that, <laughs> that i was going for but apparently when that, that came into my head it was like oh should i say that will that be funny yeah it might be a little bit funny so i'll say it out loud anyway which um, yeah you know what if my you, brain if you hit a point of irreverence that we find offensive, you will have achieved ink heist. <laughs> sounds like a challenge now, but I, I, I feel that if I, if I tried to do that, then 
you know, maybe I'd be like, hey, I've got my Inkeist medal, but it's like, yeah, good job, motherfucker. You're also yeah. cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, yeah, but it's okay because I'm going to figure out what makes this motherfucker cry and ask him about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, good luck to you. But I mean, look, talking about booked podcasts, I mean, in the girl in the video, there are a number of shock websites that are mentioned and booked podcast got me to describe in great detail a shock video called swap.avi and somehow that didn't get me cancelled so I don't know what the fuck would (laughs) (laughs) but if it would I mean the ink heist metal would be worth it so Uh, yeah that's like when Brian when I did uh, the CoronaCon thing when I moderated that panel and she asked us not to swear and I'm sitting there going fuck I can't swear I can't swear I can't swear and Brian Keane said fuck and that was all <laughs> the, he opened the fucking gates like <laughs> yeah how, sorry I Kelly. mean how, how does that <laughs> even work telling people within the horror fiction community that they can't swear right. I mean it, it, it just doesn't doesn't really compute. I mean, I know that it's it was kind of broadcast in the day, but still, this is live. This is <laughs> horror fiction. I mean, I, I find it funny when people ask me on This Is Horror. It's like, is it is it okay to curse? It's like, yeah. <laughs> this is fucking horror. Of course it's right? okay to curse. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing. It's like Josh said to me one time on Twitter, I can't believe I just said fuck in public. It's like, oh, dude, if I had that problem. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, I, I swear a lot just casually. You may have been able to detect, but then if you're talking to people who don't swear a lot, sometimes they think you're really angry about something. And it's like, no, I'm not angry. I'm just really infused. You know, I'm using fucking to elevate what I'm talking about. (laughs) Exactly. They're sentence enhancers. It's it's yeah, emphasis on the statement, an exclamation point. Yeah, I mean, I think it was Billy Connolly who was talking about fuck is one of the best and most yep. versatile words and so when people say oh it is unoriginal or you need to widen your vocabulary it's like it is the best word within the vocabulary it can be right. a noun it can be an adjective it can be a verb it can be anything you fucking want it to be exactly. and it's glorious shut the fuck up get the fuck back up on the sidewalk and head home little boy you know yeah. <laughs> i mean there's so <laughs> Yeah. And and you sometimes see people getting more outraged at language than you do kind of atrocious events. Like, I think it was Ricky Gervais who put out a tweet about animals being abused and being skinned. And he said that those people are cunts. And then there were people who were tweeting and were more outraged that Ricky Gervais had said cunt than the fact that there were actually animals being skinned to death and it's like let's get a little bit of proportionality here yeah really because it's kind of like the people it's the listener who's given the word power not the person who's speaking it 
and it's kind of uh, you know that's a that's a, it's a British thing. I mean, a European thing, really. You know, that word is not near as offensive coming from that corner of the world than it would be if it were me or someone else, and I use it too because I'm a fucking asshole. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or you know, I, I've been called a cunt by a few British people too. So. Um, that There's could that. be a term of endearment <laughs> as well in, in yeah. England. I mean, it, it kind of works. That, yeah. And I can't believe how many times I'm saying cunt on Inkeis now, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Either, you know, you can be a despicable piece of shit cunt, and that is not a good thing, or it's like, oh, he's a bit of a, a clever cunt, or oh, he's a lovely <laughs> cunt, that guy. So it, it could be really affectionate. So you got to got to listen out for the context in which you are being called that <laughs> <laughs> that's call, call calling people clever cunt you know if you walked up to someone in a bar here and said you're a lovely cunt you'd just get your ass kicked <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing as well context you don't fucking open with that you know you've got to let the, the relationship and the friendship start you've got to let it blossom that's not your opening line that ain't gonna end well um but but yeah that i guess that is i am aware that you know saying that word is a little bit more offensive to americans so it is something that i am more mindful of but you know when alan baxter was on this is horror it was like, oh, shit, we've got a British guy and an Australian guy. And I think that the first 10 minutes was us effectively just repeating that word. I think I, it maybe wasn't a great conversation, but we were just so excited. It's like we can we can say this and nobody's offended. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but apart from Bob Pastorella. But, you know, he's strunk. He'll get over it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bob's, Bob's tough. He's got thick skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alan, uh, I think, is one of the first people who ever called me a cunt. So there's that. But he said it in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. So it's, a, it's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so. What's your cunt origin story, Shane? <laughs> uh, you don't want to hear that one. <laughs> I think we do. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think our listeners most certainly don't. <laughs> I think I think a number of them will be up for it. I think Max Max Booth is certainly a fan of that. Although you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that what Max Booth endorses or encourages should mean that you absolutely <laughs> like. It could be. A lot of times he's tried to goad me into tweeting things that I'm like, I, I probably shouldn't do that, Max. Um, <laughs> maybe the the biggest discussion during the editorial process of the girl in the video was whether to make a character ejaculate at a certain moment. Um, in the original manuscript, the character had not ejaculated, but Max was like, I really think, I really think it would add something if you just make it come. So we, we, had, we had a long back and forth over that. We then had an argument as to how to spell come. Where, and I, I think 
I think Max was saying that you only use a you for either the noun or the verb. And I was like, I think we should use the you in in either instance. And I don't know if that was a British American English of come to debate know. or if that was just me and Max debate. But I think it's a personality thing. Yeah, because I've always <laughs> thought that you belong there. <laughs> 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 well, Laurel, I, I I think you had uh, something you wanted to ask, Mike. I am not interrupting this train of thought. Fucking <laughs> second, nothing I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's just funny because one of our favorite moments from our when we talked to Max, and it's funny he brought that up about like what he endorses was the time I think. I think it was when it was just Shane and myself. I think we talked to him for like, what, 10 minutes about his short story that had the dick spiders in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about bestiality and yeah. getting stung on the balls by a scorpion. <laughs> he he yeah. had all kinds of, uh, all kinds of colorful stories to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> but, feel that, Talking about bestiality with Max Booth is just an inevitability. It's like I am speaking with Max, therefore a reference to bestiality at some point is going to turn up. Exactly. This is breathing for Max. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, my, my friendship with Max does remind me of a lot of my friendships that I had at university. But... I mean, the difficulty is that, like, if he's on This Is Horror, it's like, ooh, this is being broadcast. This is being publicized. <laughs> yep. I mean, on, on This Is Horror podcast, I mean, I'd imagine long-term listeners, they've learned about different facets of my personality. But whenever whenever I'm talking to Max, it's like, oh, the, the uh, dark humor is really coming out now. And so, like... I. I'd kind of hope that it wouldn't be the entry point to this is horror podcast because it's like, no, I, I can ask deep and philosophical questions as well. I mean, obviously yeah. in this half an hour on this show, I've really fucking proven that, haven't I? <laughs> Just how credible and intelligent I can be. I, I guess the, the ink heist atmosphere has made me feel very comfortable and so i'm i'm kind of talking shit like i might if we were down the pub which is is no bad That's, thing really uh that is by design we try to be that way because it's a lot more fun at least for us yeah. we're we're all too fucking crazy to be normal so we have to <laughs> kind of make a party out of it right right and i mean whenever people talk about being normal it's like what the hell does that even mean what right. is it be normal. <laughs> uh, if you're, yeah, like, what are you talking about, Karen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of funny because you, I was going to ask this a lot later, but since we were talking about Max, you know, I'm assuming, did you meet him through the show and? Um, like recording this is hard podcast episodes and um, 
just kind of how your relationship evolved because you know he put out the girl in the video um and i think you guys are even working on a collaboration and i i can't be sure but i i want to say like he was talking about something with like a rooster or something maybe nearly it's called wounded duck so uh, there, there may be a duck uh, i knew it was some kind of bird yeah you know, Max yeah. Booth, Max Booth, and a duck kind of scares me, man. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of a lot of duck references within that novel, and there's even a character watching the, a documentary. So, so look forward to that when that comes out. How my friendship and relationship with Max Booth began. So, I read one of his columns on Lit Reactor. I think it was when he was promoting a book in maybe 2013 or 2014. I think the the title was How to Successfully Kidnap Strangers. It was something along those lines anyway. And I thought, wow, this seems like an interesting dude with a similar sense of humor to me. I want to learn more about him. So I reached out to him and got him on the podcast. And then I found that we we really did click very well. Indeed, we started, I think, like probably a few minutes into our conversation we started making very inappropriate jokes and then almost started to outdo one another and we were playing chicken but no one was really stopping (laughs) and (laughs) then we decided okay we, we can definitely be friends we spoke on the podcast got on just as well there and then pretty quickly he he was one of my best friends in the genre so this is this is a beautiful love story i guess in many <laughs> respects uh, with two two weird guys and their, and their blossoming friendship and in terms specifically of how the girl in the video came about so max booth was putting together the lost films anthology and I thought I want to be part of this. And it was also when I was doing the one story per week challenge in 2017, where, as per the name, I was trying to write one story every single week for the entire year. And so I started drafting up some ideas that may be good for inclusion in lost films. And then pretty quickly realized that this was going to be a lot longer than a short story. So I said to Max, you know, what is the maximum word count for this anthology? And he said, well, how long is the story you're working on? And I said, well, it's looking like it might be at least 20,000 words. And then he said, yeah, that's obviously far too fucking long for an anthology. (laughs) So I thought, okay. Well, that, that's the end of that. But he said, send it to me anyway. So I did. And then much to my delight, he wanted to publish it as a standalone. And so that is exactly what happened. We went back and forth 
with, with the editing, as you would expect, I mean, what kind of a fucking editor wouldn't? And by the end of it, it was <laughs> around 25,000 words. And that is the the form in which you're seeing it today. So, I mean, th- this is far better than if it had been a story in an anthology. I mean, it is a standalone book. It has my name on the front cover and not because I'm providing a quote, but because I actually wrote the fucking thing. So I'm I'm delighted with how that has turned out. And then, I mean, the reaction and response to it has been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, of course, you're going to get some negative reviews that is the fucking nature of anything if you put something out there are going to be some people who don't like it hopefully there are going to be some people that do like it or even love it and i've been very grateful for that and i've also got people who are interested in making it into a film so for this to have started out as a submission to an anthology it's not really done too badly. That's awesome. That, um, and that's, yeah, because I was, I've been looking at the reviews and I saw, you know, Paige and Parlor did a little shout out. It's, I mean, mm. it's really just gotten, it's got a ton of reviews and so much positive to it. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to, to have got some advanced praise from the likes of Josh Malaman, Alan Seward Baxter and David Moody. <laughs> I mean, you, you couldn't, ask for much better than that and then i've subsequently had very favorable reviews in cemetery dance from sadie hartman mother horror and then when i was on the horror show with brian keen brian keen basically gave me an impromptu blurb so to, to get someone like brian to praise it as well i mean in a way i think when you've written a story and you know brian keen has read it there's a little bit of nerves there because it's like yeah he he won't be afraid to to call it out if he doesn't think it's it's good i mean hopefully he wouldn't invite me onto the show and be like so the girl in the video has a bit fucking shit wasn't it i mean that wouldn't be a great (laughs) great podcast conversation but but even so to know that he has read it. I mean, he's not a guy who's known for for uh, mincing his words or being particularly mild-mannered about anything. Yeah, no, he's not. But, you know, in a way that's refreshing because most people are more than willing to put on a false face, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I but, mean, what what's the point? I mean, if, you, if you're authentic, if you're not authentic, why do you think... Um, I mean, it it can be difficult when you're reviewing annual writing and when you're kind of networking and, and chatting with different people. I mean, it, in a way, that is why I kind of branched out from originally with this as our podcast, we'd throw some reviews in there. And now we're just an interview or a conversation show. If I review something, then I'm pretty harsh critic but i'm not going to review something inauthentically so i i think maybe i in a sense that kind of pissed people off so i'd I'd rather just in reviewing books i feel i'm almost too close to that so if i'm gonna review something it'll more be music or films or something where i'm a little bit 
distance from it. Now, if you ask me what I think about a book, then I'm going to give you my absolute honest opinion there. But I mean, as much as we say within the horror community that we have to have a thick skin and we have to be able to accept the negative reviews alongside the positive reviews, I'm not sure that that many people actually do and I think a lot of people get upset or they or they take it personally now I mean obviously there are exceptions like there's been a few short stories of Joseph DeLace's that I publicly reviewed and I said actually this completely didn't work for me and Joseph DeLace remained a very good friend and that that's how you do it it's like it's not a fucking negative review of the person it's literally a negative review of the work and just because i don't like something it doesn't mean that it isn't good or that it doesn't work for someone else i mean these are reviews these are subjective opinions there is no absolute yeah that's i mean that that's really true and um, and it's also something to keep in mind is that not every book or every story is for every reader you know yeah. so it's, especially what you said just there you know these stories don't work for me like that's that keeps it in the subjective mindset and yeah i think i just think that's a really good lesson for for people to learn as they embark on this yeah yeah and i think perhaps yeah a, a mistake that some people can make is is presenting a subjective opinion as an objective reality and so yeah okay if you do that then you're probably gonna piss people off <laughs> yes and sometimes that's the goal so yep. <laughs> yeah. there you go but that's that's really exciting that that so you're you're in talks with people about a film being made out of this that's right yeah so i mean even before the girl in the video had came out I had some people get in contact with me and ask me if the film rights were available and then I had some other people ask me and so I started chatting with Max Booth and Josh Malaman about this because you know as much as I've done within the publishing industry I have not done a lot in terms of film that is not an area that I know a lot about and so to make a long story short I started talking to a guy called Ryan Lewis who is both the film manager for Max and for Josh Malaman and he said that he'd kind of take a look and help me navigate these offers that I had coming in and then a few weeks later Ryan is now managing the film side of things for me and I mean we we've had I guess like 15 or so different pr production companies have have been shown the girl in the video we did have um a a writer that was looking pretty interested in it but then for whatever reason they had to pull out but then recently we've had some new interest from a studio that's looking really promising so I mean I'm 
I can't talk about things too much because until there's something concrete, you know, you don't want to talk about it. But there, there is interest from numerous parties in terms of making the girl in the video into a film. And I mean, I've seen people that have had interest into making their story into a film and then it falls through and then they're they're pretty upset and depressed and like you know that that's understandable because you get excited and then nothing happens it can be frustrating but for me I think the trick is to celebrate the stage that you're at and you can dream about the next stage you can think about and envision what it would be like and get excited over that but you have to make sure that you don't accidentally conjure up that as the reality and I think that's how you're gonna get upset about these things so at the moment I'm excited and I'm pleased because there are people that have said oh you know in some reality I would conceive of making the girl in a video into a film that is the stage that we're at you know someone has said I could envision theoretically making this into a film and that is great (laughs) and then if somebody says actually we're going to give you a contract and we're going to option it then that is another stage to be excited about but even at that stage Don't take it to the next level. Don't think, oh, it is a film. Because, I mean, there's been so many instances where a book is optioned, like when Guillermo, however you say his name, Del Toro, um, optioned Hater by David Moody, but then he had to pull out of it. So, I mean, you, you celebrate the success of having your book optioned but you don't think about it as a film until you're actually watching the film. And if you can just celebrate the stage that you're at, then that is going to be a good way to to kind of shield yourself from like negativity and getting you know, incredibly down when the next stage that you trick your brain into thinking you're at doesn't happen. So I don't know, I see myself as a realistic optimist or an optimistic cynic which sounds like some (laughs) sort of contradiction but I I I like to dream about the next stage and what that would look like whilst knowing that that's not actually the stage that I'm at well and that's I think that's excellent too because you don't want to rob yourself of the joy of what you do have in front of you you know I mean you had you had a, a, a story that you wrote as a short story for an anthology that has now been launched. It's standalone. It's getting fantastic reviews, you know, and people are interested in it. So I think it's smart to approach that in a sense of like, you know, people looking at this is a success to celebrate and whatever happens next doesn't take away what's going on now. So that's, that's just really excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm just so excited that so now at the time that we're recording, it's been, out for getting on for two months and I I guess the the buzz and the excitement hasn't really disappeared I mean there are people reviewing it every day I've been on a number of podcasts there seems to be an email nearly every week with something to do with the film side of things 
I launched the audio book as well so that it it feels like and I, I'm led to believe that for a debut novella this is getting a lot more buzz than than the average kind of debut novella and I mean I, I do wonder if if some of that is to do with the fact that you know I, I created this as horror and so that's been a concern for getting on for a decade now I wonder if it's something to do with the fact that I, I've done this kind of podcast tour and I, I think I've only really seen Eddie Hendrix do as many podcasts as I've done for, <laughs> for promoting the girl in the video and then I mean I, I, I guess another factor could also be getting the book in the hands of people at Instagram so there are a lot of photos of it and probably it's just it's just a combination of of all of these efforts and I mean maybe there's a little bit of luck as well maybe this is something that is resonating at this particular time and I mean of course launching it in the middle of a global pandemic is not exactly a great thing to do and it certainly wouldn't be a great thing if it was for the big five because they're getting the bulk of their sales from traditional bookshops but perhaps for someone launching it via a small press or an independent publisher it's actually a good time to do it especially when the vast majority of promotional efforts are online and because people are are online all the time you know that they're perhaps going to to see it more so I'm, I'm not saying that you know I'm glad that there's a global pandemic I'm not but it may have worked out <laughs> in, in in my favor for for the girl in the video launch <laughs> I think that that is okay to find some silver lining in here somewhere <laughs> so, yeah, no yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I mean like I, I feel that if it has been good then that's that's okay for me to get a positive from the pandemic because I've also got a huge negative that I moved to Japan the day where kind of 12 hours after landing they were closing the borders to British people and so my wife and my daughter who were meant to join me you know, a little bit later are still in the UK. So I feel if I can, oh, if I can get um, a big positive when I've also got a relatively considerable negative, then then that's OK. I feel I deserve some good to go along with the not yes. so good. <laughs> so gosh. So that's how long have you been separated from them? That's been several months. Yes, oh, so we've man. been we've been separated for three months now, and I mean, luckily we anticipated that that might happen because I mean, when I flew out, that there were kind of talks of of border close closures generally. I mean, Japan hadn't specifically said they were going to stop people from the UK coming in, but I had. I had an inkling that that they might. So I think it's better that we anticipated it, because if I hadn't anticipated it, then I think it would have been more painful. I guess, 
you know, something about preparation, making things better. There's a quote, but I haven't had enough coffee to recall exactly <laughs> what it is. But yeah, like it, it's tough, but I feel whatever, however I respond to it, it doesn't change that objective reality. So my wife and daughter are in the UK. The borders to Japan are still closed. Whether I choose to be happy or choose to be sad, that will remain the reality. So on that basis, I'm choosing to be happy. And I mean, because of technology, we're in contact every day. We get to do video calls. So I mean, if ever there was a time to be in a different continent from your kid and partner, this is a, this is a good time for it. I'm not recommending it, but at least with technology, we have a means for communicating. And so when, when they first announced the ban, we knew that it would be until the end of April. Then they expanded it till the end of May. And then frustratingly, recently, they've expanded it till the end of June. And so, I mean, the end of April, we knew the end of May, we kind of expected. But now that it's been till the end of June, I did actually go to to immigration a couple of weeks ago to see if we could speed things up or if there's anything that can be done. So I filed some documents to see if we can get my wife and daughter in the country sooner rather than later and we'll just have to see what happens but I mean I accept that the reason that British people aren't being allowed in is because there are a lot of cases of COVID-19 in the UK there are not so many in Japan so it is for the good of the world and for the good of Japan it's just unfortunate that that conflicts with the good of my personal circumstances but I mean we know that we're going to be together again we know that Japan is where we want to be so it's a case of focusing on the bigger picture and I mean there was there was a time where we were wondering about my wife going over first and then me and my daughter joining her which I mean but we've this is the third time that I've been living in Japan the first time me and my wife went over together the second time my wife went over and then I came over after and then this time obviously me first and my wife daughter next and it's because of how the the dependent visas work and I'm just glad that we chose for me to go over first because, I mean, my wife, I know, would not have coped as well being isolated and on her own and particularly separated from my daughter. So it's a good job that we actually went this route because we nearly went the other route. I mean, the first 18 months of my daughter's life, it was me who was the primary caregiver the primary person looking after her and it made sense because I'm obviously doing loads of writing and podcasting and things that I can do at home but 
I mean, we we just decided that it would be a good job for me to be the one who got the main job, even though I've also got a load of self-employed work just so that my wife and daughter could be together. And thank God we did, because it it would not have been good if it had been the other way around. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I shouldn't, you know, project on, on you guys, our situation, but I was just thinking like that would definitely, yeah, not have been, if it, if it was my family, I, I would be going nuts without my son. Yeah. And I, I know my husband would miss him, you know, but I, I, I would probably be catatonic or something. So yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you guys have managed to work that out some, gosh, that's, that's crazy. But I mean, like you said, it's good that you've got all this other stuff. You've got the podcast, you've got the writing, you've got promoting your book, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that kind of keeps you busy. And, you know, thematically, it kind of ties in some with Girl in the Video, because I'm sure you guys are doing a lot of uh, Skyping or Zooming or, you know, hopefully nothing yeah. remotely as um, terrifying as what happens there. But yeah. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. Some, some, sometimes you'll just uh, create an anonymous account and send me a weird video, and it's like, <laughs> guess is it a wife or is it a stalker? You <laughs> and then like, I'll get something erotic, and I'll, I'll like reply something inappropriate, and she'll be like, ha fuck you, it's your wife. You're in trouble now. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you kind of about, about that, Michael. Not necessarily that situation, but... But kind of the technological aspects of the story, I that's kind of one of the things that I liked about it is, like you said, um, you know, with technology now, there's a lot of great things that come of it, you know, like we're able to have this conversation now with, you know, me, Shane and Laurel being in different states and you being in an entirely different country. But at the same time, there's also like some really weird shit that can, you know, happen through being online. And I was kind of curious, you know, how how you kind of came up with this idea for your story, but also as someone who, you know, kind of does a lot of things online, you know, for this is hard and being very active in like social media is like part of that story idea. Was that part of like a fear that maybe you had had, not necessarily a fear, but you know, people are always, you know, worried about, you know, online privacy and, you know, all kinds of things like that because your information's out there. So is that kind of what inspired you to do the, uh, the story? Yeah, well, I, I think that privacy is a great concern. And I think even when we're putting out a photo or some information that's behind a so-called private profile, we should be aware that whatever we're putting out isn't really private and i think the best way to think about it is that what you're putting out is public because i mean it could be there could be a data leak it could get into the wrong hands so if you assume that anything you're putting out is actually public then it's probably gonna mean that you know if if something does happen or if it does get into the wrong hands that you're better prepared um so i 
I mean, technology has been a huge part of my life. It's been a great force for good. I mean, This Is Horror and the podcast couldn't exist in the form that it does without it. I mean, without technology, I guess it would have been a physical magazine that would have probably mostly been distributed to people within the UK. And so the reach would just be far narrower. But I do think that we don't always look at the the negative side of, of of social media and of technology and the fact that anyone can access our photos and our videos and our kind of writing and statuses. And I don't I mean, you're you're always told do not click the link. I mean, that is yeah. pretty obvious. Don't click a weird link and i i thought well what would happen if if the protagonist did click the link and what if things were to get worse and worse and that was the genesis of the girl in the video and then i mean setting it in japan you've got a kind of claustrophobic feel on top of that when the language which is predominantly spoken is not your native tongue so you've got a claustrophobic and a, a a kind of uncomfortable to a certain extent feel because of that I mean things can literally be foreign to you so you've got the protagonist Freddy trying to work out you know what the fuck is going on with these videos and at the same time just being in, in, in a place where he can't fully communicate with everyone. And so combining all those things together, the, the girl in the video emerged. And in terms of, I mean, my own privacy concerns, I mean, something that I'm really having to navigate at the moment, being a parent, so my daughter is two years old, is is just deciding how much to put of her on the internet. And it's a very personal decision. We we all have to decide what, what is best for us. And also, as I say a lot, we, we shouldn't be afraid to change our mind. And so at the moment, I really limit what is put out there about her. I mean... I haven't actually named her online apart from when she was first born and I announced <laughs> the the birth. But if I refer to her, I'll refer to her as Mrs. Horror, which I think is a fairly cool moniker to have. <laughs> and I mean, I tend not to really put photos up of her where you can see her face. Um, kind of mostly for like identity fraud and stuff like that. I mean, obviously no one's fucking going around being like, oh, I'll get an ID card made up with this two-year-old's face. It's going to be fucking awesome. But, yeah. <laughs> there, there are kind of concerns in, in that wheelhouse. And I mean, it, it's probably a little bit, over the top but i'd rather be over the top than than kind of complacent and i mean my my wife puts up a few more photos of my daughter than 
than I do, but also in her private profile is a little bit more private than mine because if I'm using things like Facebook, I'm not only using it for friends, but I'm using it to network. So it is more of a public place. Whereas, I mean, for, for my wife as as a teacher, there's not like so much networking. It's like, oh, let's let's connect with a, a teacher in America. Oh, Canada, let's talk and, and get that going. It's not really as essential to your job as it is as a writer and, and a publisher. But I mean, I mean, I kind of feel as well that it's not up to me to decide whether my daughter wants an online presence. That is for her to decide. Of course, later when she's older, I'll have to navigate the question, well, okay, at what age can she decide that? I don't know the answer yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm more when I'm doing something adjust in time rather than adjusting case person because I have too many fucking things to do to be adjusting case person so we will we will decide nearer the time at what age she can decide as to whether she wants an internet presence but I can tell you that the answer is not at two years old so that that's what we're working with let's see if it's three years old that hasn't happened yet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> could you uh, could you ask me that question again when she's 18 <laughs> yeah. I, I've, got, I've got two daughters so uh i feel that intensely it's like they're both in their 20s now and if i could control it they still wouldn't have fucking social media accounts yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess it's harder to to enforce it you know if, if you do it as 24 or something and like it's like surprise motherfucker i just hacked into your account and now you don't have one because because daddy decided you're not allowed one yeah that's weird (laughs) 45 years old my dad won't let me go on twitter yeah Yeah, that's so cool being controlling so we, we know that it's controlling if you're 25 and it's just good parenting if you're yeah. two and hopefully maybe through the course of this conversation we'll land upon what is the number where it goes from parenting to controlling yeah, right well i know that i know that what happens is that they move out at 18 and they're still kind of your kid and that's, you can call them and say now i want you to do this and this and this and They'll somewhat do that or tell you they did, and then they'll hit about 24, and it becomes really controlling because they're fucking controlling you. That's what your daughters do, bro. Nah. <laughs> some, some wise advice from the future. <laughs> 22 years or so, I, w- I will be controlled yep. by her, apparently. <laughs> it, is, it is difficult to say no to your daughters. <laughs> Right. Say, I've got mine's just two, and I'm still I'm controlled by him. I'm not waiting another 22 years. On right. <laughs> yeah. I, I just say. think I'm too fucking stubborn. But then maybe my daughter is pretty stubborn as well. She's certainly <laughs> because like I was looking after her for the first 18 months of 
of her life got a few traits from me. Um, I, I think it's actually made it a little bit harder for, for my wife to look after her because of <laughs> certain traits that she may have been exhibiting because of me. And uh, yeah. I, as some long-term listeners of This Is Horror Podcast may know, I, I am a, a pro wrestling fan, and I think she's uh, picked up on that a little bit. So some, sometimes, <laughs> you know, some of her toys, it's like, wait a minute, there's a chair shot. <laughs> so I'm not sure that that's ideal for my wife, but yeah, fuck it, I'm in Japan at the yeah, moment. that's the way it goes. Mine, I know I know I was uh, the first word all three of my children learned was fuck. So, you know, and I'm pretty sure that was my ex-wife's fault, but <laughs> she blamed me for it. Yeah, I think I think Alan Baxter said the same. Not that your ex-wife like, no, no nothing's weird going on. You don't have to confront Alan about that. But I think he, <laughs> 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 one of his first words. <laughs> <laughs> listen baxter what the fuck is wrong with you dude i could have told you some things first <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> i forget who it was i think maybe it was the staring into the abyss guys asked if if you had increased my cursing and i was like no that's not how that went. <laughs> no that is not how that went <laughs> <laughs> he just felt more enabled when Laurel showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so it looks too like, so you've got another novella coming out from Grindhouse next year. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. That's exciting. I mean, this, is, this has gone like, this is just really ramped up. This is amazing. So what can you tell us about that? Well, I mean, it's a lot more British in tone. I could kind of imagine it being written and directed by Shane Meadows if it was to become a film. So if anyone's listening, you know, if Shane Meadows in particular is listening, then get in contact. But I mean, I've described it as the Wicker Man meets Kill List meets Peep Show. So there's there's a little bit of a, an English <laughs> reference. And, of course, there's, there's This Is England as well. I mean, it, it's fairly bleak. It's about a guy whose kind of stepfather has passed away and then he has to go back to his old hometown, which conjures up a load of bad memories i mean it's not a place that he's particularly fond of and then as he's back there people start wondering if he actually had something to do with the death of his stepdad and things ramp up from there nice yeah, those are those are three of my favorite things, and I'm sorry to veer us completely off track, but I have to ask you, uh, Michael, because I fucking love that show. What is what what is like either your favorite episode or your favorite uh, scene from Peep Show? Oh God, I mean, uh, <laughs> there's there's so many. Um, I I think it it kind of shows how obnoxious like. 11 year old children in the UK can be when there's a point where 
Mark Corrigan just goes out of his house and then he starts getting abuse from this gang of like 10 or 11 year old <laughs> kids. And then and then like he either goes to say something or to like move one of them out the way and they're like, ah, pedo, pedo. That is a... Uh, realistic as to what could happen like if you if you're in the wrong part of town um in in the uk i i think <laughs> i i mean yeah like mark corrigan is definitely my favorite character because he's just so awkward and um He's kind of always trying to do the right thing and somehow always managing to do the absolute worst thing <laughs> possible. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I love that show so much. And, you know, I I binged through it when I think it was on uh, Netflix. And mm. I'm kind of sad that it was that they ended it. But, you know, I came to it late. I know it was a pretty long running show, but. I'm sure a lot of people won't agree with me and Shane and Laurel. I don't know if they've seen it. So they're probably like, why the hell does he keep rambling about peep show? But my favorite episode I think was the one with uh, the dog. And I'm pretty sure that's all you need to know about that episode. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, if people haven't, they, they should just, they need to check out peep show. Um, I, I guess for American listeners, maybe the nearest comparison is kind of like a more awkward British Curb Your Enthusiasm. I mean, I think Curb Your Enthusiasm and Peep Show do have some commonalities, particularly stylistically, but instead of having a kind of 50 or so year old grumpy (laughs) protagonist you've got two awkward 20 or early 30s kind of officey roommates although let's be honest jeremy doesn't work at an office but it's kind of five yeah i'm glad you you covered that because peep show I was just going to say, I'm glad you covered that because Peep Show is not, that is not what uh, came to mind when you guys were talking about that. So (laughs) that's what we're talking about. I was in the same boat, Laurel. It's like. Pilgrimage every year. Apparently. Well, I mean, I, I could understand the mistake, particularly after some of the content of the girl yeah. in the video. Really? And some of the content of this podcast, too. Um, yeah. we, we were talking about House of Bad Memories, but actually before House of Bad Memories, me and Bob Pastorella have written a novel called Peeper Ritual, which, uh, if you'd read that, you would maybe think of the illicit peep show. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, putting, uh, putting that out this Halloween. So I'm in a, a right bizarre on. situation where, in the space of a year, I'm going to go from having had no books out to having three books out. So I'm I'm making my mark as a writer <laughs> by by releasing these books. 
That's awesome. Okay, so so you guys, so you've you've co-authored a novel. How did mm. when did that start? I mean, how how quickly did you guys put that together? Okay, well, it's been a bit of a journey. There've been three distinct stages to it. So it actually started in 2017 before I wrote the girl in the video. So Bob and I came up with Peeper Ritual, we planned it out, we grafted each of the scenes, and then we took a couple of months to take it from idea to what at the time we thought was the final draft and about a 20,000 word piece. We then submitted it somewhere that was specifically looking for stories that had been co-written and so I mean we wrote it so quickly because we had this deadline to get it finished and to get it polished up by. Um, Unfortunately or perhaps fortunately now looking at the trajectory it has taken that didn't make the cut for that particular cool out but i mean we we enjoyed the story we were confident in it so we thought let's continue and i i guess because bob and i have been writing so many other things people ritual is something we come back to and then we'll have like a, a burst of creative energy for for two or three months so after that rejection we showed it to some more beta readers we implemented some feedback and then it kind of reached its second stage where we got rid of one of the characters that we didn't think was particularly serving the story we introduced another two new characters and then it was a 29,000 word novella but there was there was always something that wasn't quite working and it was to do with the final 25 percent it just went from being relatively fast paced to just insane pace and it's like we we, we've almost ran towards the finish line we need to slow it down a little bit um so we were kind of thinking how how the hell can we do that and make what we're doing absolutely essential? Because you you do not want to include filler. You do not want to drag no. it out. You want to make sure that everything is serving the story. A few months back, we sent the 29,000 word novella to Lisa Quigley and Mackenzie Kira to beta read it. So they're the the ladies of the fright. People might have listened to their podcast and they confirmed what I'd been thinking all along that, you know, this final 25% was just too quick. I mean, they loved the novella, but they, they, they could just sense it could be even better and so that was the impetus for for me to put my foot down and to say to Bob, OK, we are expanding this because this was something that we'd had a bit of a, a back and forth about. And there was something in the notes that just enabled us to work out how to expand it. Now, 
Mackenzie and Lisa didn't exactly say what it was we ended up doing, but there was something that sparked the idea for us. And so now it is a 47,000 word novel. <laughs> it, it, for me, it just works. And this is, I really, really hope the final form because we have now been working on it on and off for three years. And I, I, I feel the happiest I've ever felt with it. At the time we're recording this, Lisa and Mackenzie are looking at those changes that we've made. I'm really excited to see what they think. But I, I just think we've nailed it. And then after that, I'm going to independently put it out now of course we we could submit to publishers but i would like to independently put it out i've got a lot of experience through doing that with this is horror and i mean i'm a fan of the hybrid publishing model that you see people like chuck wendig and anya alborn and david moody and adam neville follow where they've got a number of independently self-published pieces and they've also got a number of traditionally published pieces and when I'm submitting somewhere I only want to submit to a publisher that I think can do a better job than I can do on my own and unfortunately because of all the things I've done with this as horror that set the bar a little higher than it might for some people but I mean particularly with the girl in the video having an endorsement and having a publisher say this is good enough to put out in the world was important particularly for the first book that I'm putting out and also I mean just working with Max Booth and Laurie Michelle, I mean, it has lightened the load in terms of things that I would have to do on my own. And it, it's yeah. been a hugely successful collaboration. And I think that is what it is when you're working with a publisher, particularly with a good publisher. It is a collaboration. And so that that is a positive experience. I would certainly consider working with perpetual motion machine publishing again but i want to now have some kind of evidence and a comparison point by putting something out independently and i mean funnily enough i'll actually be using max booth as the freelance editor so it's gonna be quite similar anyway and I'm hopefully using Piper for the cover art, but I'm using people who who I've worked with before and who I trust. And so why not go with a formula that works? So at yeah. the moment, we are looking to put Piper Ritual out around Halloween of this year. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I can't wait to see that one, um, read that one. Um but uh, you mentioned three ladies. I want to just say something real quick about it in, the, in your past uh, answers here. One was Lisa and Mackenzie, um, lady, ladies of the Fright Rock. If you don't listen to them, do listen to them. Um, my favorite podcast beyond this one, and this is horror. 
And yes, I just kissed my guest's ass. So just leave me alone. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and the other one was Lori Michelle. If you ever need layout work done when it comes to your books, Lori Michelle is the person you're looking for always. Yeah, and the thing is that Laurie Michelle has probably done layout for far more books than you realize. She has yep. worked with so many independent publishers. In fact, I bet if you were to grab, let's say, five independently published books from your bookshelf, you're probably going to find that at least a couple of them have actually had the layout done by Laurie Michelle. Guaranteed, um, yep. Yeah, I mean, she's quite an an unsung hero within the genre and more people should be singing about her. Now, I'm not a very good singer, but for anyone who is and you're listening, if you want to come up with a song about Laurie Michelle, <laughs> then please do. You can tweet us. You can tweet at Wilson, the writer. You can tweet at Inkheist. Is that even your Twitter handle? I mean, you can tweet yeah, it, it anyway. Even if, it well, is. good. It will even get to you. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let us hear your Laurie Michelle songs. Absolutely. Yeah, let us hear them. Um, let everybody hear them if they're good ones. If they're bad ones, shut the fuck up. <laughs> or we could just say send them to uh at wilson the writer if they're bad ones yeah there you anything, go <laughs> anything bad the address is at give me your teeth <laughs> right <laughs> give me your teeth and you will be <clears throat> directed to a gentleman called max booth free that is that give me your teeth and yep and he will uh, make you laugh while he's telling you to fuck off and die <laughs> <laughs> maybe so maybe so yeah you, you'll either love him or hate him that seems to be the general <laughs> reaction absolutely to, to max booth and if you hate him, you'll probably call him an edgelord or something like that. That seems <laughs> yep. to be an insult, even though Max is is far removed from what I would consider an edgelord. Yeah. Um, no, Max is a good guy, but he's one of those people, you know, I, I think uh, I'm kind of that way and you're kind of that way a little bit, too, that if. People either love us or they can't fucking stand us, and that's good with me. No gray gray area that way, you yeah. know. Um, but a big portion of that is because of his honesty, you know, which is the reason I love the fucker. He's funny as hell, and he's always telling you what's in his mind and in his heart, not not pulling your chain, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the only time it can it can be a little bit difficult is like if if he's in a bad mood and someone yeah. says something stupid and he just basically tells them to fuck off. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, he if, does if not fully punch. If that happened to you, it's not, it's not personal. He'd have done it to anyone. <laughs> Uh, one of the other guys I write for, that's how we, that's how our relationship started is he pissed me off and I publicly fucking eviscerated him and he contacted me and talked to me about it and then said, hey, want to write for me? 
<laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time for me to to go into this is horror podcast interviewer mode. Let's unpack that a little bit. So who, who is this person and what happened? Uh, that is absolutely not going to happen as far as who this is. Because <laughs> uh, you want to just give give us the give us the initials then. Um, it had something to do with uh, when I first started reviewing, and I didn't quite understand how arcs worked, but uh, had reached out, and you know he'll know who I'm talking about if he listens to this, which I don't think he does. But um, I reached out to him, and I got a I got told just kind of very bluntly no. I felt, um, and not you know I didn't feel like it was kind. It felt condescending, and I just said so, you know, like I do. Um, my mouth, uh, reacts far, far, far sooner than my brain tells it to. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, pissed me off. I told him to fuck off. He emailed me, told me to fuck off. We talked about it and then he asked me to write for him. So, Hey, made some money out of that little, made some money out of that little shit show. So, (laughs) (laughs) so is is the take-home lesson that if people want to write for someone, what they should maybe do is tweet the publication of the words fuck and up. <laughs> <laughs> and they result in a, a blossoming writing relationship. Absolutely. If you want to write for someone, fucking eviscerate them, man. They're going to publish you for sure. <laughs> okay. so I'm just just gonna go to the New York Times Twitter now. <laughs> Fuck off. Hey, you motherfuckers! <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm really not that irreverent, but close. Um, so, uh, what else is what else is on the horizon for you guys? Um, anything special about this is horror coming up or? Well, I'm. I mean, soon we will be announcing the winners to the This Is Horror Awards. So that is an annual awards, and it is the ninth year now. So, I mean, really, we've got to think wow. of something for for next year for the tenth anniversary, and I can't wait to see what we come up with. Um, um really. That's a yeah. big date, ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> um, it, it is, it is ridiculous, really, that it's been going on for that long. But I mean, we we were greatly fortunate that I mean, when the This Is Horror Awards started, they were so well received, and I mean, I think, I think, I think so much so that the This Is Horror Awards probably gets as much attention as the podcast and the website side of things. I mean, sometimes more people really come through for that. And I mean, I I wonder if it's because in terms of how it works, it's very reader and fan orientated. So that's what I was going to say is let's start, let's unpack that a little bit. Um, It's that, the biggest complaint on the internet from everybody and probably loudest from me is that these things are not reader driven. Mm-hmm. Um, but yours, th- 
this is horrors is reader driven all the way and it it does give people a different attitude toward it it doesn't feel quite so elitist and it doesn't feel like it's something that your peers and your friends gave to you to me you know so yeah (laughs) yeah and i i I guess as well because there's such a a broad variety of categories i mean you've of course got got the usual suspects such as novel and novella and anthology but then we've also got cover art we've got fiction and non-fiction podcast it started out as podcast of the year award but that is how fucking brilliantly the horror fiction community is doing in terms of podcasts that we've had to separate it into fiction and non-fiction just to to represent all, all all the great quality and i think as well it it feels unfair really to to say like oh vote for your favorite out of let's say no sleep podcast or the horror show with brian Keane because how do you even quantify that and that's like yeah. vote for your favorite do you like music or films <laughs> like what <laughs> that's not like for like but yeah i mean every year its popularity is growing and i mean we start it off by having people send in their nominations for the short list and then we go through them we look at how many people have nominated each there's also some quality control in terms of like you know deciding well what what do we think really is going to reflect the best of the genre for that year and obviously it's near impossible because we're, we're trying to represent it through five titles in each category but then once we've narrowed it down and we've announced a short list i mean it's completely reader driven at that point you vote for your favorite you vote for your second favorite the one with the most votes win so that there's no i my favorite isn't necessarily going to win there's no kind of interference or bias there it's completely up to the readers and i mean every every year we have people commenting on how how much they love the shortlist, how difficult each category is for them to choose a winner. And, you know, good, because that's what we want. We want to almost present you with this impossible conundrum where you've got five in each category that could absolutely walk away winning it. And that's a testament to the horror genre. And we've said it before we'll say it again horror fiction is in a golden age right now it yeah it absolutely is that that's and i i don't that's what i was thinking when you were talking about all those categories and how hard it is for everybody to pick i mean it's like i'm sure if you're you know if your work is up for that it's maybe a different feeling but as a reader it's like it's fantastic that there's so much you know heavy competition for in every one of those categories yeah and it, this year was maybe the most difficult to come up with the short list because it's not an exaggeration to say that there were 10 in each category that could have 
made that shortlist so it was so difficult to to narrow it down to five and I mean we did even wonder whether to go with more this year but I think if you if you keep it to five then it just makes it so tight and so prestigious as well I mean in many ways if you've made it to the shortlist you've already won and I think that's why you you'll see people if they've won the award they'll talk about it we've even had people put like that this is horror award winner on the cover of their book but you'll also see people talk about if they've been nominated and they should because it is a phenomenal achievement and I mean look at something like novel of the year and then think about all the top tier authors that weren't nominated this year it doesn't mean that they didn't do a book that was worthy of that it's just showing how exceptional the field is right now and yeah it's kind of heartbreaking to have to (laughs) you know only go (laughs) with five but that that's how it goes yeah it's kind of like as like you say horror is so so healthy um and it's uh even as as a reviewer it breaks my heart the stuff we turn away it breaks my yeah. heart on almost a daily basis it's like motherfucker i want to read that book so bad but no you're going to have to piss off because i don't have time for you you know <laughs> it's like what <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't that's uh, why um, like a few people don't like you because that is your generic reply <laughs> like you it, have to piss off pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> uh laurel uh laurel told uh hunter shea and jack campisi that she was afraid of me so you know, <laughs> I, I guess i guess i put off some sort of vibe yeah <laughs> it was yeah. very much implied in uh, <laughs> In your, yep. in your message about reviews, which, you know. <laughs> which turned out it just meant, God, I'd really get along with this guy. He's just exactly fucking like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like how I'm scared of this person turns into, so I guess I better co-host a podcast with them. I mean, that's the... <laughs> The natural <laughs> progression. I mean, that, that's the real Bob Pastorella on This Is Horror Podcast origin story. It was like, oh, he look, looks like quite quite a big, strong guy. He might be able to take me in a fight. But if he's the co-host of This Is Horror Podcast, he would never fight me. And no, he'd, <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd defend you instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, Bob's my prize fighter. That was weird to say. Apparently, that's where we're going. Bob, you're going to love this episode, man. I can't wait to tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah. We should put that right yeah. in the show notes for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that is that gonna be like part of the title of this episode? Yeah. It's like oh, Michael on drop dropping C bombs, um, the girl in the video, and how Bob Pastorella is his prize fighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I need to put Bob's uh, I need to put Bob's profile on a on a picture of a boxer and use that as the showground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You, 
I mean, since I mentioned pro wrestling earlier, if you're familiar, you could just put Bob's face on Brock Lesnar and my face on Paul <laughs> Heyman. I'm kind of like the advocate getting, getting Bob <laughs> to fight different people, and he just like goes and, and destroys them. Um, I mean, that, that was something that I considered doing, because obviously the, the horror show with Brian Keane is like, there's a little bit of a friendly rivalry there. So I did wonder about just sending Bob Pastorella in and being like, can you just like F5 Brian Keane at Killicon? But <laughs> instead we decided to become friends with Brian, which is probably, probably for the best. Far easier that way, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bob yeah, yeah. And you, you asked about the the future of this as horror and what we've got coming up. I mean, we've got a number of different authors who are lined up. And if you want to talk about prize fighters, we've got Raph James White coming on. So oh, man. That, that, I mean, that, that's that's what we do. We basically interview people that we think could help us if we're in a violent altercation. I mean, Max Booth, we didn't interview because of his physical prowess, but we did think he could either outwit or possibly just scare anyone who attacks us. So that was also a valid move. But yeah, we, we've got Raph James White, We've got John Horner Jacobs. Um, we've got next year we're chatting with Eden Royce to coincide with the release of her novel. We've got so many people coming up. I was going to say it's a bit weird you put me on the spot. I put me on the fucking spot. I started listening to that. <laughs> Sarah Pinbread. Gemma and more so plenty of reasons to listen to this as horror podcast and obviously that there's a little bit of crossover we will sometimes speak to the same people but what I love is that when that happens I mean they're completely different conversations I mean we spoke with Todd Keesling, you spoke with Todd Keesling. Well, I can tell you, even though it hasn't aired, our conversation was nothing like your conversation with no. him. It did not start with the premise of let's get fucking drunk and ring Todd Keesling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we actually did that. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, you know, another cool thing about that is that you guys when we first started out, I don't know if this has happened since Laurel joined or not, but like our first eight or nine podcasts, you scooped us by a fucking week on every one of those things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like we'd say, I'd say Josh Mailerman's coming next week and it'd be, Oh, we got Josh Mailerman today. Like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that, you know, your anger issues didn't get the better of you. And you just tweet like, <laughs> Maybe then Ink High started when I was on one of my kind of we're going to release two episodes every single fucking week kind of this is horror mad 
splurges and now I'm at the kind of okay I've also got a full-time job and released a book I can't yeah. I can't maintain that shit so now I mean yeah you you typically have a conversation with someone around the same time that we do the difference is you seem to put it up like the next day and it's like well we'll put that live in two months but i mean the good, <laughs> good thing well, for the for the listeners is that that means there's enough gap between the two that it's like yeah all right we'll we'll listen to that person again it's not kind of back to back because i think we spoke to Todd Keesling, maybe even within the same week, but I mean that will be turning up in July or so. So get ready for that. Yeah, Todd is a. I can't wait to hear that. We Todd's coming back here soon too, and he's a he's a hell of a conversationalist. When you start talking to him about particularly Devil's Creek, he's got a head full of ghosts in there he can share with you, and it, it's just fascinating how that thing came about. But, yeah, nice, you know. nice subliminal Paul Tremblay reference there with a head full of girls. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like you wanted me to, to segue and tell you that we spoke to Paul Tremblay last weekend, so he'll be turning up <laughs> as well. Well, then I'll segue and say that we're speaking to Paul Tremblay in just a couple of weeks. <laughs> so in... On that basis, then, that means that we might, in fact, put the Paul Tremblay episode up at a similar time. Yeah, so, actually, really, because I, I edit mine like the It's like I we record Saturday. I edit about five minutes before it's supposed to go live and get it <laughs> two hours later, yeah. and, you know. Um, so, yeah, we, we release fast. Um, yeah. Yeah. It'll be. It's interesting though the things that we talk about and stuff because, like you said, the conversations are totally, totally opposites of each other. You know, both fun, both interesting, um, completely different personalities, really. Yeah. Um, and anyone not listening to this is horror should be listening to this is horror. Um, yeah. It's. It is bar none. It's probably in the top three podcasts on the web. You know, except for Ankeist. I mean, <laughs> we could still be top. in the top three, <laughs> even <laughs> if even if Ankeist, you know, I was top thinking was the top, if you say the top, the top four, right underneath us. All right, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what we call the top four, then. Yes, the top four. World <laughs> <laughs> schools chain. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that any time you compliment a podcast, you do have to remind people that Ink Heist is is the number one podcast, which, I mean, I, some would argue that as people are listening to Ink Heist, and this has been going on for getting on for, for two hours, that that plug was unnecessary. But then again, when this is horror is going on, I do like to remind people that this is horror listeners have exceptional taste and are incredibly intelligent people. So it is good to <laughs> to remind people of that. And of course, because they're so intelligent, they know exactly what the fuck I'm doing. But there yeah. it is. See, I'm always, when I do that, I, yeah, I'm plugging us, but I'm mostly just being sarcastic because I don't, you know, I, I 
I'm yeah. too. Uh, I lack the self confidence to believe that anything I do is the best of any fucking thing. <laughs> I'm the you... best at fucking shit up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, if you if you hadn't said that, then I I'd have maybe thought that you did have the confidence in that. I mean, you should have the confidence in Christ is doing great things it it kind of turned up and then was like oh oh shit we've got a competitor like straight away all right all right <laughs> fucking bring it because that's yeah. what I'll, you know, like, uh it makes us shit. better yeah well that that's it i mean i say that in in terms of competition you should typically only compete with yourself and that is what i try to do i try and look at the this is horror demographics and look at you know are we getting better are we bringing our a game but you know i'll be honest when a podcast turns up that i think ooh, they're doing things in a similar area and they're doing it damn well i mean it's a good way for me not to get complacent because as much as i talk about only competing against myself I do kind of like to compete against others, but unofficially, like I don't go around announcing it. But I mean, I, I've got all these kind of weird goals that are to do with um, other podcasts. For example, Booked Podcast have just celebrated 500 episodes. We're on 350 wow. at some point, And it's probably gonna be like three years or so i would like to overtake the amount of podcasts that books have <laughs> but that that's a good be, yeah that's yeah. good healthy competition that kind i mean it's like i love this is horror i think we have a ways to go um to be as good as this is horror but i do I do constantly think about getting better than you guys because why not try to be better than the people who are better than you, you know? Yeah. So. And I, yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's great because the better you get, you will force us to get better, and then maybe that will force the horror show to get better, and will force Ladies <laughs> of the Fright and Booked and Bizong, and then like everyone's trying to be the best and who's won well the, the listeners have won everyone right. has fucking won <laughs> yep does that's exactly this, right does any of this ever mean that i get to fight bob pastorella yes <laughs> I, mean, okay. I, I just i thought that's what we were building up to um, like these were gonna be you know he's your prize fighter i realize i'm i'm the shortest and probably the least likely but I'm also the most recent addition, so... Uh, you know, no. something else about that is Laurel is also <laughs> the only one of the three of us that could possibly kick Bob's ass. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just said that. I said Laurel's our prize fighter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought we were leading up to that. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize it was going to be like a, like a, um, you know, a good speech, like a, like we're all improving each other. I thought we were going to fight. Yeah. So. If Bob walked, <laughs> I mean... I, yeah, if, if Bob walked up to the three of us and said, I'm going to kick your asses, Rich and I would step back. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, you I got mean, this, I, Laurel. I, yeah, yeah. We have faith. I mean, I thought it was an obvious inevitability that Laurel <laughs> and Bob would 
have a fight and so yeah. obvious that I don't we don't really need to state it. I mean everyone <laughs> assumes that is what's going to happen. Really so, I'm I'm guess I'm guessing Pastorella's in training right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that that's what he he does do like mo- most days and yeah, even when we start our call I'll be like, How's it going? And he's like, Oh yeah, I just done some boxing ready to Fuck up Laurel, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> rain it in, Bob, rain it in. <laughs> uh, Bob is going to love this episode. My wife is not going to love this episode if I don't kill myself soon. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? What the fuck do you mean, Shane? No, I mean, I make, I, I make uh, get off the podcast is all. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's the most shocked I've ever heard Michael on any of the podcasts I've ever heard him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't know, like, every episode of Ink Heist ended with someone killing themselves. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. This is we're we're pretty far in, but th- this is all actually our ghost talking to you yeah. right now. And the thing yeah. is, the thing is, is we don't actually kill ourselves. We sacrifice somebody else with each episode. It's less painful <laughs> that way. Yeah. Yeah. There's normally, if I remember from the last time you sacrificed someone on Inkeis, there's some sort of comedy music, and then Shane turns to Rich, and it's like, so, who have we got? Who's going to die today? <laughs> <laughs> In the studio with me today is Dan Howarth, the original This Is Our Podcast. <laughs> Welcome, Dan. You're about to be you're, you're about to become a bucket list item checked off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess I guess uh, to keep Shane's safety and also let you get on with your day, um, I guess we'll hit you with some last questions. Um, I you know it's funny. You do a lot of interview type things, but I don't think um, and I could be wrong because I'm not on social media as much, but we don't really see kind of a lot of things that uh, maybe you're reading or watching or interested in. So what are some like books or movies or films that you've kind of been uh, interested in lately? So at the moment, I'm actually reading Wolf Hunt by Jeff Strand. And I mean, this is going to sound really arrogant, but one of the reasons I started reading this is because when I was on the Brian Keane show, he was comparing my writing to some different authors and one that came up was Jeff Strand. And I thought I haven't actually read that much by him. But I mean, this is laugh out loud, hilarious. It is fast paced, the dialogue is witty. I mean, it starts off with these two piece of shit criminals who are on this job where they've got to transport a man who they've been told is actually a werewolf to some other dude. And I mean, to begin with, they're trying to work out, okay, is he actually 
a werewolf you know what's going on here but the the dialogue is kind of fast-paced there's pitch black humor and it's just everything that that like i want in a book particularly when i'm looking for for light relief which i think i mean with the state of the world at the moment it's almost like i want my fiction to be a little bit lighter and a way to almost escape from all the fucking bad horrible shit going on and so jeff strand's wolf hunt is something that i would definitely put up there so if you haven't checked it out then you need to and then the other thing that i'm currently reading it is the forthcoming novella from Mackenzie Kira, which is going to be published by Unnerving Magazine. And it's described as a retelling of Frankenstein, only sexier. And I mean, this is a book that does not pull any of its punches. It is very in your face. It is explicit, it is sexy, it is sexual, it is violent, and the 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 voice, the way that it's told is utterly delightful. And I mean, Mackenzie Kira is one to watch, and on the basis of this debut, I think that there are going to be big and exciting things, you know, c- c- coming from her very very soon uh that there's a a couple of books that i'm really looking forward to one that has got quite a lot of hype is the the forthcoming one from s.a cosby i don't know if you're familiar with it it is a a crime book i'm trying to recall what it's what it's called um i think think it's it's called black Wasteland. Black Top Wasteland, that... yeah. 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 I just picked that up too. Yeah, so that that just looks like ev- everything I'm kind of looking for in terms of like a, a gritty, no-holds-barred crime book. I mean, what one of the descriptions is like Breaking Bad in a high-speed collision with Drive. I mean, that is the kind of thing that would prompt yeah. Bob Pastorella say, hand me my credit card or my credit card <laughs> is ready because that that just sounds delicious. And I mean, I, I'm really into crime as well as horror. I'm, I'm more so into crime than I am fantasy and science fiction. And I guess when it comes to horror, I do gravitate more towards real life horror than the fantastical which explains my love for dark thriller and crime uh similarly in terms of the tv that i'm watching i recently started the third season of ozark and as you might say shane if you're not watching that you need to unfuck that shit immediately (laughs) because ozark it yeah. is fucking incredible. Um, um, tell me. It, yeah, it, it, it's similar to Breaking Bad, although you've got far stronger and more developed female 
characters, I mean, the female characters are calling the fucking shots in Ozark, no yes, question. Yes, they are. That. And, I mean, for, for me, season two of Ozark was better than season one. Season one was a solid four-star TV show, but, I mean, season two took it up to a five-star, a five star, and the third season thus far, it it's maintaining the consistency yeah. of season yeah. two. And like, like I say, I'm only a few episodes in, and I try to avoid spoilers and, and even reactions, but just from the little glimpses that I get, I've got a feeling that Ozark is going to really kind of turn up the pace and it's going to get better. It's going to get darker. And yeah, I can't wait to, to be on that journey. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything at all because I'm like you that way. I don't like yeah. even minor spoilers. Um, I do. I accept that. I loved season three more than any other season. That's all I will say about it. Good. Good. Well, that's very encouraging then. Um, talking about dark, seasons there is literally the season called not the season the tv show called dark i believe a third oh, season yeah. of that is yes. going up soon oh, yes. and i cannot wait for that the 27th i think yep yeah no it, the way that the way that i describe dark is like stranger things for adults but hear me out like i love stranger <laughs> things as well like so i'm not saying like stranger things is like a, a, a child's tv show but no. but i feel compared to dark it, it almost yeah. is it's like so fucking bleak it, it's german and it has that european aesthetic to mm -hmm. it as well and i mean God damn it. it. It's not it's not an easy show to watch. You know, you've got to fucking think you've got to pay attention. It's going to fuck with your mind because there's a lot of time travel going on as well. But believe me, it's worth persevering with it. It is what we would call a slow burn, but so, so good and so well shot as well. Um, It is well worth the burn. Yeah, you yeah. Every single minute of that thing has kept me enraptured so far. Um, and yet that's I think Rich and I compare it the same way as a, like the adult version of Stranger Things, because it's yeah. so much darker and so much more cerebral and, you know, everything else that you said. So. And uh, if you like that, Michael, have you watched the uh, French show Black Spot? I haven't, but Bob Pastorella has mentioned it a number of times and, and suggested that I check it out. And yeah, it's amazing. obviously you can tell that I respect Bob so much that I've yet to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Bob. But the way that things work with Bob is often he'll tell me something is really, really fucking good and say, oh, you've got to watch it or you've got to read it and i'll be like yeah 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 <laughs> and then six months later i'll be like oh my god i watched or read blah 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 it's so fucking good and he's like yeah i told you about that six months ago and it's like yeah well you're right bob i mean that that's happened with even a number of of guests that we've had on on this is horror podcast so 
I mean, Pung Shepherd, the book of M, Bob was telling me it was so good and like, you know, I should read it. We should talk to Pung and... Then three months later, I did, and I was like, hey, Bob, I think we should get Pung on the show. And he's like, hey, do you fucking think? Because I might have told you about that before. Um, it's like, like I might present one of Bob's ideas to him as if it were a fresh idea. Some people would say that's some kind of bullying. I would just say that. Hey, that's how it goes. I'm going to be cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> we do that all the time. We we make suggestions to each other that one of the other ones of us suggested to us. So it's like Rich will tell me, watch this, watch this, and okay, okay. And then six months later, Rich, you have to watch this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I I just think that that Bob consumes media quicker than I do is probably what it comes down to and I think as well if he recommends something that's more supernatural or fantastical as I said that's not immediately what I gravitate towards so I'll hold it off for a little bit and then in invariably get to it eventually and realize like oh shit this is one of the best bits of tv that has been so yeah, black spot. I will. I will have to check that out. Which which now means that in six months I'll tell you. Oh fucking hell! Have you guys seen Black Spot? <laughs> <laughs> so at least if Bob's listening, he knows that it's equal treatment. You know, yeah. I, I'm an equal <laughs> asshole to everyone. Don't you worry. <laughs> Yeah, that's always me, too. Don't take it personally. I'm a fucking dick to everyone I talk to. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah Max, Max Booth has a, a habit of telling me that I'm an asshole, and it's one of those things where it's like you can't quite tell if it's a serious or a joking comment, and I think, to be fair, it's probably it's probably a mixture, which I think is a fair <laughs> assessment. <laughs> I'm just fucking blunt. That's the thing. And, you know, that side of me doesn't come out so much when I'm interviewing people on This Is Horror because I like to try to give this illusion of professionality and like just insulting someone bluntly may may uh, take away from that. But, yeah, like particularly in in my personal life, it's like, look, Life is too fucking short to sugarcoat things, so let's all be authentic and honest. And yep. it's meant to come from 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 a place of warmth, but hey, it turns out that some people don't like you just being really fucking honest. <laughs> well, fuck them anyway. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Laurel, Laurel is Laurel is like my my spirit animal. Yeah, and also your prize fighter. Yes. Yeah. Forget that. All right. Well, Shane, do you? I think at this point you probably really need to go make dinner. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna get my ass kicked now for sure. But it it was worth it. It was totally yeah. worth it. Yeah. I, 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 
ahead, I was just going to say, I, was, I think this is like the most I've laughed in a long time. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michael, yeah. Will, you, will you come back, sir? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, you know what we and... should do? We should get him and Bob back when Peeper Ritual comes out. Oh, at the yeah, same yeah. time. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, if you want some sort of Halloween special to coincide with people ritual, let's bring the This Is Horror podcast to, to Inkeist and let's do that. Well, I'll, let me actually email you guys because uh, October is filling up fast. We're all the way through September and going into that month now. So I'll email you and make sure that the rest of it is open to you so you can take one of them. All right. Sounds fantastic, and we, we look forward to it. I can't wait for, for me and Bob to argue on the air. And <laughs> and, I mean, basically, like, the, the main purpose of this show, um, as well as promoting things like the girl in the video, was to hype the big fight between Laurel and Bob. And it's well, yeah. like it's going down, get you... Your this, fucking pay-per-view ready. Exactly. I was just going to say, this will be the pay-per-view event of the year. You've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that Laurel is having a, a warm-up match against Dan Howarth. So, you know, just kind of, you know, some kind of easy fight at someone. So that will be happening in August. <laughs> You know, I don't know how much we've promoted the girl in the video, but I've had a lot of fucking fun, and I think this has been a wide-ranging conversation. But, yeah, if you're still listening and you haven't bought the girl in the video, if you haven't read it, then it is available, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. If you enjoy my weird humor and awkward personality then you might also enjoy the girl in the video <laughs> and also because you've listened for this long you're actually legally obligated to buy it so that's Absolutely. that's happening <laughs> they may have automatically been a credit card payment it may already be in your hands that's just what we do and if you're thinking what that's not fucking fair it's like well we did warn you that technology is a little bit fucked up at the start of the show yeah. so like only got like, yourself to blame at this point like when alexa came out right we could just sit here and go alexa buy girl in the video now yeah <laughs> siri buy girl in the video now there you go motherfuckers and if you've got an android and apple you just bought it twice and if you've got enough money to have both then you've got enough money to buy it twice uh, hey google <laughs> Um, we know you won't get pissed at us because you listen to us this long, so you're a really patient person. Um, but, I'm yeah, sure. we re I really do have to go myself, but I really loved this episode. Um, I will ache for days just from laughing. Um, and I'm looking forward to having you guys back. That's yeah. awesome. Well... Thank you to the three of you for being so generous with your time. This has been a lot of fun. And, hey, we're going to do it again. So I'm looking forward to Halloween. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, I Absolutely. You'll be hearing from me sooner than last time. Thank you. Have a a great uh, rest of your day. Yep. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. All right. Catch you later. Bye bye. 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 (laughs) Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? (laughs) 